Welcome to The Haber Show. This week we'll be having famed NBA podcaster Nate Duncan, who did something interesting when the league shut down a few months ago. After his success with the NBA-focused and super informative Dunked On podcast, he pivoted and became one of the top COVID-19 experts on the podcast platform with his COVID Daily News pod. He also does an NBA pod with John Hollinger called The Hollinger and Duncan Show, so check that out as well. But on this episode, we're going to go deep on the NBA restart bubble, the campus they call it. Um, We'll talk about the protocols that the NBA put out, what's good about it, what's not, the potential leaks, and whether this is even a good idea. Also, you'll learn what fomite means. I promise you, you'll feel more equipped to talk about the NBA restart and about COVID-19 after listening to this. But before we get started, I've got the perfect podcast for you to binge over the 4th of July weekend. It's called Sports Uncovered. It shines a new light on the most unforgettable moments in sports, and each episode is introduced by Mike Tirico. If you haven't already, start with the I'm Back episode that uncovered Michael Jordan's secret workouts with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, that really happened. They gave him a jersey with 23 on it and everything. So start with I'm Back, and then check out the episodes on Sean Taylor, Oregon's uniforms, and the NHL's longest game. Search Sports Uncovered to catch up on all four episodes. Uh, just a heads up, Nate and I recorded this episode before news broke late Monday that Brooklyn Nets players Spencer Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan tested positive for the coronavirus. Jordan said he'll be sitting out the NBA restart, and Dinwiddie has not yet made a decision about that. It's unclear when they were exposed, whether it was prior to in-market workouts or at the Nets facility, but just keep that in mind as you listen to this episode. Now, without further ado, here's Nate Duncan. Nate, how are you doing on this uh, this Monday? We're taping this on a Monday afternoon slash night. You're over there in California, I presume. So this is actually in the afternoon for you. Yeah, we're uh, we're doing well enough here. Uh, my wife and I, at least, I mean, we're weathering the storm about as well as could be expected we're in, in a much luckier position than, than many good to hear we um i was actually doing i was on a road trip personally on friday afternoon when uh the nba held their i guess the nba and their players association held their conference call in the afternoon and i was driving with my phone uh speaker phone listening to the conference call my, I didn't have my like recorder with me. So I had my laptop open in the passenger seat recording <laughs> the media conference call. And then, um, I had a question for Adam Silver and the group, but I was driving, so I couldn't really ask the question. <laughs> so I guess I'll just ask it to you, Nate, because, okay. uh, you are, you are one of the go-to sources for NBA information. Um, you can take that compliment or you can just put it aside and be <laughs> humble, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And as a lead up to this is that you are also one of the go-to, um, sources for information on COVID-19, which is so cool. And of all the people who have to kind of pivot or transition or make uh, best of a really terrible situation. You have started a podcast called COVID Daily News. Um, and I just wanted to know the origin story of that, because I think we all feel like there's been a lack of clarity or lack of information that I can pay attention to clearly, or at least have a scientific backing. And it seems like you've kind of filled that gap as an NBA podcaster. It wouldn't seem like that would be an immediate crossover appeal. Yeah, it's interesting. The origin story is somewhat similar to my basketball podcast, Dunked On, in that I realized, you know, I've been doing, you know, hours of research a day following this story. This is the biggest story in a generation, if not longer. And so I wanted to keep up on it, especially with no NBA basketball. I wanted to see where it was going and follow the science. And I realized that there really wasn't a source out there that was aggregating everything together that could provide you 30 or 40 minutes of the latest science, the latest trends in the disease, uh, and to try and give people an understanding of what it was safe to do, where this was going, etc. And so, you know, clearly I am not a scientist, but we've had a lot of scientists on. I follow a lot of scientists and I do my best to parrot the ones, particularly the ones that I've really grown to trust in 
providing this dude, I do it with uh, my partner, Ben Taylor of Thinking Basketball, who I'm sure a lot of people also know. So I kind of just created the podcast that I wanted to have. And the idea is, you know, we do hours of research every day so that people can listen to this, get their 30 or 40 minutes of news, and then go on about your day instead of just doom scrolling your timeline the whole time. <laughs> we do a lot of that. And I, uh, how many, how many people initially were like, did you consult? Like, should I be doing this? Or were you just like, you know what, since I can't find this, there must be a market, um, inefficiency here and I'm going to just start in my own. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really, you know, we're not making any money off of this thing. I mean, not as many people listen to it as the basketball podcast, obviously, but we do get a lot of really nice feedback on it. It seems like it's really been helping a lot of people. And so that's the reason that we're continuing to do it as a, hopefully a public service. And sure, I definitely try to be very, very cognizant uh, at the beginning in particular of here's what I know and what I don't know that this is a, a new endeavor. But there are a lot of people writing about this, right? And I think even if you're going to say, yeah, if you had two trained epidemiologists on who did nothing but read the news uh, all day and ha had time to just you know spend hours and hours researching for a podcast every day, yeah, they'd probably do a better job than I would. But I think I, with the amount of research that I'm putting in, I can do a better job than just mainstream news reporting or guys like watch. me. <laughs> well, you put a lot of work into, into it too. And I know you've had a, a lot of experts on, on your show as well that you've consulted with, uh, but no, I mean, I, I but just the, the average person, you know, or the average, uh, you know, segment on whatever, type of news people want to watch or your average news article. Yeah. I hope we can provide a little bit uh, more detailed analysis uh, than that. And, and in particular with some of the great uh, scientist guests that we've had on. So a couple of weeks ago, the NBA, I mean, it, it might've been yesterday, but I lost all consciousness of, of time or any sort of wrapping my head around the, the concept of time. But I think the NBA put out uh, recently a 113 page report protocol, health and safety report what was your main takeaways with this? Uh, because I think for me, it was a lot of a lot of steps that they took, a lot of protocol initiatives and programs to make sure that they were as as much as they could do, um, testing, sp uh, social distancing, um, writing it into words. And I know that for people at home who don't understand the dynamics at play here, putting something in writing like a legal document is a, is a very important step that the league took here because I'm sure they conferred with, with tons of people to make sure that what they're writing here is not going to come back to bite them or what they're putting in writing is they're going to try to hold people to this. The whole point of having rules and protocols is that they're going to be enforced. So, I know there was a lot of chatter from various reports about what was going to be in that document, but what were some of the takeaways for you as someone who's covered this space in the NBA world and in the COVID space? What were some of the takeaways from that document? Well, I, I, I'm going to start with a, a few caveats here first uh, before we talk about this, just because uh, we this is just such a complex disease. Our, our understanding of it is continuing to evolve. Uh, and so you know, part of the reason I'm, I'm glad you had me on, I was actually going to reach out to you. You had a, a conversation with Henry Abbott. I think it was uh, maybe like 10 days ago or so. I list, I listened to that. I have a slightly different opinion than, than you guys do on it. I thought it, it would be an interesting conversation for us. But I, you know, I respect the work that you guys have done. You've consulted a lot of experts uh, as well. And a lot of this, you know, just comes down to what your personal risk tolerance uh, is. So uh, if, uh, you know, for the listener, if Tom and I are kind of going back and forth a little bit here, you know, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, really going at each other's throats. It's just we're trying to, to flesh out some differences of opinion. But my general thought was, and I think this echoes what epidemiologists who have looked at it, like Angela Rasmussen, uh, who's been on my show, is also on Sam Amick's show, Dr. Fauci, uh, Zach Binney, who's been on your show. I think they believe that all in all, it's a pretty darn good protocol there are definitely some weaknesses so i'm sure we're gonna mm -hmm. get get into those but i mean you really as you go through it you have kind of these three poles of safety money and just how much of a pain in the butt it's going to be for everyone to do it and you have to find a balance between all of those things in this new reality where we have not really defeated this virus it's out there in the community and you have to find a way or give up in terms of not being able to continue economic activity. So 
you know, everything is going to be a compromise between those three poles. And I think, you know, obviously if it were safety were paramount, uh, then you wouldn't be doing it at all. Right. So, so you're not doing literally the most safe thing. I think that generally, you know, I think I, I agree with about 95% of what they've done And I think they've put in a lot of work and I was relatively impressed, uh, with a couple of caveats, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah. So first things first, when I talked to Henry about, I think, I had seen the doc where the document was within like 24 hours of the document coming out. And yeah. since then we've obviously been able to chew on things a little bit more, digest them and then come to a different place. But the thing that I wanted to ask Adam Silver or whoever was going to be on the call that was going to take the question, whether it's Mark Tatum or the players union head, uh, Chris Paul, Andre Godala was on the call too, is what is the reason or the biggest obstacle to testing the Disney staffers? And this is the big thing that I had heard from players and teams is before I wrote a story with uh, Zachary Binney and Neil Gandhi, two epidemiologists who I'm, whom I trust at, at the University of Emory uh, School of Public Health, which is, uh, they're two epidemiologists there. And they also happen to be big sports fans. Um, so they actually have like um, uh, a reference point to this talk. It's not just in a vacuum what do you think about these NBA protocols? They also know, have some pretty good understanding of the economics at play and the sport itself. So um, I asked them, the idea of Disney staffers not being part of the bubble uh, protocols, essentially, is it okay that these Disney staff support staffers, whether they're custodians, housekeepers, food service, et cetera, et cetera, is it okay that they're not going to be tested every day, just like the NBA players are? And is it okay that they're going to be going home to their families and coming in and out of the bubble with a screening test, essentially a questionnaire of symptoms, and also a temperature check, which to me as a layperson, 100.3 being okay to go into the bubble or the campus seems high a temperature. But under the Disney negotiated um, agreement, with the union at the, at Disney for the staffers, they are okay, or they've come to an agreement that 100.3 or lower is going to be okay um, to go to work. And apparently that is a CDC guideline. You can probably correct me there. Yeah. Um, but what they said is, at the time was, you know, I'm not too worried about that because the idea is that the Disney staffers would not be intermingling with the players. They wouldn't be in close quarters with the players. They're not going to be playing basketball with the players. They're just going to be, you know, servicing the housekeepers. You could arrange for them not to be there uh, at the same time as, as the players, um, or you're going to be in a kitchen and the players are going to come into the, the dining room. Like th this isn't close contact. And they generally said, look, it's not a huge deal that the players are not going to be under the same guidelines as, as the Disney staffers. The thing that I, the thing that I think we can all agree is that enforcing the social distancing is going to be another matter. And I'm not worried about the week one of social distancing. I just worry that players and staffers are just going to get tired and they're going to get stir crazy and they're going to just loosen up. Um, and those support staffers, the Disney support staffers become an increasingly important variable if players and staffers are just going to get tired of the protocols and loosen up just subconsciously even. And Adam Silver on the Friday phone call with, uh, with reporters, he said, at this point, they are still negotiating with the Disney staffers, um, that there is a subset of Disney staffers that they're hoping to come to an agreement about making sure they are going to be daily tested or have some sort of increased testing based on the benchmark they have now, which is zero testing. At this point, there is no testing for those disease support staffers. So I'm not sitting here saying they have to test them. I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to play without those tests. I just think that is one of the biggest leaks. And if the question is money, and I think this was where I was going to direct the question to Adam Silver, is the, is the biggest obstacle here just paying for those tests and whether Disney's willing to the cost of that? And I wanted to ask you, is that the biggest potential leak for you in this bubble or this campus is the Disney staffers or is it something else? Yeah. So a, a lot to unpack there. And, and this issue of the Disney staffers, maybe we'll start with that. There is actually another potential leak that I have much more concern about actually than the Disney staffers, but, but let's start 
with that and just a, a little bit of background here as well i mean for those who are you know many people are not as familiar with the the way this virus works so let's just start with a little bit of the way the science has evolved on how this thing is transmitted i mean that that we we need that as a baseline so and, and i know you know a lot of this stuff but maybe some of the listeners don't so. is there a word like fromite fomite f-o-m-i-t-e yeah <laughs> Um, so it's one of your words that you use, and I'm like, I think I know what that means, but please, it's great to have you on here and explain yeah. it to, to idiots like me. So, so back when you know, let's say maybe late March, early April, I was really skeptical that the NBA would be able to pull off this bubble because at that point, the belief was, and you remember this, right? Okay, don't don't touch your face. You got to wash your hands all the time. Yeah, surfaces, constant disinfecting. That really was one of the biggest focuses at the beginning. And then, you know, there wasn't as much focus on close respiratory transmission. There wasn't as much focus on wearing masks. For example, uh, the WHO and CDC didn't actually even suggest that in the early days. And so during that can, period, can we, can we yeah. hit that for a sec, Nate? Yeah, sure. Was it was it more about the science of transmission there or the availability of supply? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll never know the answer to that. I mean, I, I think that a lot of it was about paternalism of if they said masks work, then everyone was going to go crazy trying to buy masks, particularly N95 masks, which you know were needed for healthcare workers. Uh, right. And we had, had massive shortages of that. So I think there's a concern that people were going to take those masks away from healthcare workers. Uh, but you know, it, it never really made sense to me that having a device, even if it's just a cloth mask, that's going to prevent you from uh, breathing out as much and as far away uh, and potentially also breathing in. But really, it's more about uh, preventing transmission going away from one person as opposed to the next person breathing it in. Um, you know, that never really made much sense to me, but I think it was really more of a paternalistic, oh, if we tell a mass work, then they're going to uh, start hoarding all the masks. And there won't be any for healthcare workers, which, you know, while that may have been well-intentioned, uh, I, I think it didn't really work out. And now we have a, a lot of residual of that of people not wanting to wear masks. So, um, uh, but anyway, to, to get back to the original point, um, since that time, it's become clear that it's really about close contact. And you yep. know, if you look at a country like Japan, for example, they, between masks and avoiding close contact, they haven't really done that much testing. They haven't done much other mitigation other than that. And they have the virus largely under control just from that. And the fomite transmission, which is basically just the virus, a shorthand for the virus getting on surfaces and then someone touching those surfaces and then touching their face uh, uh, and uh, transmitting the virus to them. You know, that has been found that to not be impossible, uh, an impossible way to transmit, but not anywhere close to the biggest driver. And your odds of that are low. So, you know, if we were in a situation where, okay, if you, if someone who is COVID positive cleans your room and you go in two hours afterwards You've got a good chance of getting the virus due to contaminated surfaces or something like that. Then you know you really would just have to keep the the Disney employees in the bubble as well. Um, but it really because that doesn't seem to be a major driver of transmission. Now mm -hmm. it's really all about the close contact. And so if you can avoid close contact with the Disney employees, then it should be a relative non-issue. Is it better to test them? Absolutely. You know, uh, and test them as often as possible. Absolutely. It'd be, be great to be able to do that. I mean, yep. there's a lot, a lot of issues with the union and, you know, the expense and the pain in the butt of it all. Uh, that would be better to do. But I wasn't like, when I saw that, I thought there was being too much attention paid to that and maybe not enough attention paid to uh, some other uh, uh, another factor which uh, we can talk about so well, I'm, I'm not as concerned though go ahead yeah yeah and i think you can you can just say it tom you were uh way overblown in your in your uh reporting about the disney staffers that's what you wanted to say nate because <laughs> <laughs> i because yeah. i got that from people that i talked to in the league who were, i actually was muted in my reporting on that the people yeah. that i spoke to around the league were like beside themselves about this fact and they were yeah no i saw, a couple I mean, people I saw were jj like, reddick you know retweeted your your article because you you reported the that there wasn't a plan uh currently to have uh to have the the staffers tested so yeah i mean i i assume he wasn't the only one who was not happy about that and i think the it might not be a scientific rejection or a scientific reaction 
it's more of a double standard reaction. It's if we're going to be doing all these things, then everyone should be doing all these things. What, and, what, are you going to pay those workers as much as, as the players are getting paid <laughs> too? Uh, well, and and I think um, I think that's that gets to the heart of this is that uh, not only are players being compensated more to be going into this quarantine, or I guess compensated not to be going into this quarantine, but as part of the uh, getting your salary millions of dollars, is that you're going to be having to take some sacrifices on your your uh, quality of life here in this bubble. But the uh, I think in the larger context of equality and the larger social injustices in this country, there was a worry of just putting NBA players in a more restrictive environment than the in reg the overall population in, in at Disney. Yeah. And there was a little bit of concern there is, um, is this the right thing to be doing in this moment? And even if it costs you X amount of dollars, we should be taking that extra step just to have a, a sense of equality under this bubble. And I know that that might seem drastic and I'm, that might seem hyperbolic, well, but well, I do I, think I that was a concern. You. Ideally, you'd you'd want to you'd want to be testing people, but and you know I don't know exactly what the obstacles to that are. And you know certainly I think if it's say a bus driver or something like that, like that person absolutely needs to be tested. Yep. Uh, what you know, what are the steps that gotten, you would want? Yeah, I'm like, sorry. What, what step based on what you uh, have re researched and reported on? What are the staffers that you think about the most? Yeah, I mean, I in terms of really, Adam Silver's talking about his subset, what, which subset are you thinking about? You know, it should really be. Uh, I mean, and especially if you have masks on, you reduce the chance of transmission even more. I mean, I think it should be easy to avoid close contact with anyone other than perhaps a bus driver. You know, I, I really think like. I can't think of any other ones where they need to, I mean, cause it's really, you know, it's about 15 minutes within six feet. You know, that's kind of the rough guideline, obviously that's, that's not hard and fast, but that's the, the general idea. And then, you know, if you both have masks on, you, you're probably have a, maybe a lower chance even in that situation. So it's really only anyone that you're going to be in an enclosed environment with for a period of time. And even then, I think if, you know, you have a bus driver with a mask on, and then, you know, you probably would have a, a buffer zone between him and the rest of the players, and they all have masks on. You know, you're probably still going to be good there, even if you don't have testing. But that's one where I think it's close enough. I don't know. Can you think of any other ones? I mean, of people that they're coming in contact with, you know, if it's a waiter or something like that, they drop the food off at the table, or, or they could easily just do counter service, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's cleaning. food. Yeah. yeah. It's food delivery and how, like, yeah. room service type. Uh, interactions yeah but i mean you and, know every, everyone that's something that everybody and their brother is doing you know getting takeout right now and you can drop it off there and leave and then 30 seconds later you open the door so it's that's it's really other than the bus driver i can't think of any other one where i'd be like real concerned about it assuming of course that the, that the guidelines are followed which you raise a good point that they might not be but um you know that's another thing to talk about too but um yeah so i think i think that's the the Disney workers is probably a little bit too much attention. Then on, on a related point too, I think a little bit too much attention is being paid to just the rising case counts overall. You know, I get a lot of tweets of just like screenshotting of the tweets. And like the, the whole reason that they're doing it this way is because uh, for lack of a, a better word, the overall environment is compromised pretty much anywhere in this country. And so the idea is that, you know, yes, you, you're, there may be transmission outside of here, but you know, we're not going to allow close contact between the general public and the NBA. Um, now, when you get into like, okay, maybe hospitals might be totally overwhelmed in this area. That's another set of potential circumstances. But as long as that doesn't happen, you know, I think the focus on the rising case counts in that area is, is a little bit overblown. Yeah, and and I think the cases right now, it's the last 13 days in Orange County, Florida, have had a positive test rate uh above in double digits so yeah. i don't know it's uh i do know that the world health organization mentioned that five percent or fewer they'd like to see the positive test rate be five percent or fewer for at least two weeks before reopening uh gov advising governments before reopening they want to see five percent or below for four, at least 14 days but i don't know if it's fair to apply that same protocol or that same guideline to what the bubble is yeah and, and i mean hopefully you're just you're not 
allowing close contact. I mean, if you really go through and look at it, you know, people can do the math on this of just how many current infections you have, what percentage of the population, which is about 1.3 million of Orange County, that would be. And then, you know, let's say if you have 300 workers who are taking care of the players, you know, like what is the percentage chance that one of them would be positive? And then what percentage chance are you going to have that they run into a player and have close contact? And then they also, you know, what is your attack rate if you have close contact? What is your attack rate if you both have masks on? And, you know, I think that number ends up being relatively low if you go through that analysis. Obviously, it depends on, on what the overall case rate is in the community. And then you also have the fact that they're going to be subject to temperature checks. Maybe there'll be some testing. People who are symptomatic will presumably be staying home as well. And so, you know, you really then, you know, so what percentage of those cases are truly asymptomatic and they have no idea that they have it and all of these things. So you have a lot of barriers in place before a Disney worker is going to be infecting a player or staffer in the bubble. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote, unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. Okay, so if that is overblown, what is underblown, so to speak? What is the thing that yeah. doesn't keep you up at night, but that you think about if there's going to be an outbreak or, or a penetration of this bubble with the virus, it's going to look like this, or this is what you worry about? Yeah, so again, we're, we'll have to go through uh, some background with the science uh, before we get into this. And also, I want to emphasize, too, generally, I am quite the coronavirus conservative in terms of just you know what i'm willing to do and how bad i think this is you know i'm probably at one of the higher percentiles in terms of how seriously i'm taking this and how seriously i take this problem but i do think there are also people who go too far to just be like okay you can't do anything uh you know that that is unrealistic and now is supported by the science either so let's start with the idea of just testing the players here and the way that the testing works in terms of actually picking things up so let's say you get infected. We'll call that day zero. Day zero, day one, into day two, there's some evidence that you could start being infectious around day two. That doesn't necessarily, maybe more typically, that'll be around day four or so. And then you've got, in terms of your infectiousness, you know, so call it from day four between a week to maybe 11 days or so is what the typical person, how long they are going to be infectious so you're looking from day four to maybe day 15 after you after your initial infection when you're exposed and, the infection is seated in you as when you might be infectious yeah go ahead got it yeah i was just gonna ask what is what does infection mean is that when yeah. the virus is in your blood yeah yeah i mean well you you are exposed to enough virus that now you know some an infection to the point where you'd be testing positive is okay right like like your your point of exposure that we'll call that day zero, right? Got it, yeah. So now let's say you're getting tested, right? And I was encouraged to see that once they're in the bubble, at least at the beginning now, they it sounds like they're committing to at least testing uh, every day, which you know they had not done previously in the protocol. So Yeah, the commissioner say, did say yeah. at least in the beginning, they're going to do daily, daily testing. Yeah, which I also thought was encouraging. So yep. you get infected on day zero, basically day one, day two, really maybe even into day three, you have almost no chance whatsoever of testing positive, even though you are infected and will eventually become infectious. It's really not until, you know, day three and a half, day four, day five, that you're getting up to a 50% chance of catching it. You know, by day five, you're probably around 70% chance of catching it and then it, it, catching it in terms of like, you know, getting a positive test. And then you know, that continues to rise until you, you're almost certainly going to get it. Uh, especially if you're taking multiple tests every day, you know, by day eight or day nine. Your problem is you've got this window where for of a day or two, you know, call it between days three and five on average, where you could be infectious, 
but there isn't enough there that you're for sure going to get uh, a positive on the test. And you can, you can just overall get false negatives as well. I mean, that's a whole other issue. But So you've kind of got this little window here where even if you're getting tested every day, you could still be infecting someone else even though you're not coming up positive. And so that is mm. the major concern. So, so that's the background just on how this works. Now let's go back and look at what the testing protocol is, right? So they started off June 22nd. They're going to test everyone, 16 positive out of 305 people who are going to be in the bubble. They are now testing every other day uh, in their home markets for almost all players. And, but, you know, they're kind of just under lockdown, you know, what you were under the lockdown when this first started with stay-at-home orders in theory, where both you and your family are supposed to only go out for yep. essential services. But there's no enforcement of that that I'm aware of. Uh, it's kind of just uh, hoping that everyone does that. You know, wh what level of adoption of that are you going to have? You know, I, I can't really say that for sure. And so they're testing every other day, basically, up until going to Orlando, which is about a week into July. And then they're all going to get onto either a bus or a plane. Oh, also, I should say that during this first two-week period, basically no close contact is allowed among any staffers at all. So there shouldn't, even if one player is tested positive, uh, you're not worried about them transmitting it to someone else because the, there's no close contact a lot as long as those guidelines are followed. But then your first close contact is going to happen potentially on a plane or a bus to get you to Orlando. I, I don't really think of any other way they can do this. Hopefully they will be distanced. Hopefully they'll be masked on that flight. But you could have guys coming in at that point where that's your first close contact. That's your first chance to transmit it to someone else in your organization. And... You know, you could have a period, right, where let's say the players weren't part of the bubble in the days leading up to that. They're just at home. Maybe someone that they live with went out and got the virus and gave it to them, or they went out and did something that they shouldn't be doing under these protocols. And, you know, they got the, let's say their day zero was, you know, the day before they get on, on this flight or two days before they get on yeah. the flight. So yeah. they're not testing positive and they could potentially be transmitting at that point. And then you get to Orlando and the protocol is everyone has to isolate for uh, until they get two negative COVID tests 24 hours apart. In, in practice, that'll probably be at least 48 hours. Could be more. But again, when we talked about that timeline of, hey, you might not test positive until day five, I'd like to see a longer window in there of the isolation, the quarantine when you first get to Orlando, because you could still have a theory where you test positive twice or t test negative twice in, in 24 hours, but it still wouldn't come up yet so there's like a little bit of a window there and then you're going to start having close contact with your teammates going through the training camp i wish it were just a little bit longer of an isolation period once you get to orlando but you know that really sucks to have to do right it would i would love it if they just went to orlando to begin with during this first two-week period and were totally isolated during that period but nobody wants to do that either and you know i understand that they're gonna some of these teams are looking at three months basically in isolation so again you have this push and pull between the money having it not suck for everyone and also uh, the safety. But I wish they had just you know, maybe give me another day or two once you get to Orlando. And then I would feel a lot safer about it because I think the biggest threat of transmission is a player or staffer bringing it into the bubble with them. And then they're having close contact with their teammates. That to me is the biggest fail point that I don't think people are talking about enough. So sorry, that was a long explanation, but you know, we, we got to had to get a lot of facts out there. Yes. No, it, it's important to be thorough on this. Cause I think it's important to understand the underpinnings of what this, what the science says and why it's important. And I think, I think the other thing that um, Dr. Parham at the, at the players union, um, he is the head of, he is the, the men, mental health director for the players union. And I talked to him last week, about a lot of these issues of quarantining and, you know, ideally we'd like to have more isolation and all this stuff. How is this going to impact the psyche? And he, he kind of said, I think there's going to be a lot of emotional release in getting to the bubble is that part of them are going to, is going to feel like this is scary. I don't know if I can do this. Seven weeks is a really long time, but there's also going to be a part of like, we made it in the sense of yeah. here we are. We've been talking about this for months. We got to the bubble and this is kind of a new journey, a new chapter in our lives that is going to be once in a generation, hopefully a once in a generation thing where we're going to be talking about this for years and years and years. We're going to be talking to our grandkids, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. be able to talk about this. But the worry, and this is not Dr. Parham talking, it's me, is 
that that excitement of getting back to your teammates and getting back to your friends and and people you haven't seen in weeks and months, um, or at least seeing in close contact, the worry is that you kind of get a little emotional or overly you know close in those moments or in those in those days. And that's kind of the window you're talking about here. Is that's the window in which you almost need to be extra careful. Is that you don't get in close contact in that window that you could be uh, infectious and not realize you're infectious. No, I, I think that's certainly a concern. And, you know, there's the protocols and then there's the adherence to the protocols. I mean, my belief is that as long as they can adhere to those pretty well once they get there, that if they can avoid having anyone be positive and bring bring them in, uh, Oof, well, yeah. if you can come in totally clean, then I think they have a very good chance uh, of pulling this off. You know, uh, if you have infections that weren't caught that are brought in, then you're really going to kind of be playing catch up. And, uh, you know, we can talk about this too, of just like how likely is it to spread if there is a case uh, among players uh, or staffers, but you are kind of have to play catch up a little bit there. And there's the hope that some of these protocols will enable them to do that if there is a case. But by far, your best hope is no cases when you get in there. And I think then, you know, you're kind of, all right, are people going to break quarantine or something like that and get back in and nobody catches them and they, and then they have the virus. You, you have those kind of worries. But I think it's really bringing, having everyone come in and everyone not have the virus. That is the biggest key of this to me. Um, another, another possible leak here that I want to address is the approved uh, breaking the quarantine reasons you know if there's a family yeah. emergency if there's a birth of a child etc 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 you're free to go and then can you clarify what the quarantine re-entry pr program would be for that yeah i think it's uh i haven't looked at that in a couple of days we know what it is if you break it without permission right there's yes the excuse the unexcused if you break it without permission then you have to do the nasal swab testing they're doing the less invasive like lower uh lower part of the nose testing and hopefully saliva testing if, if they can get that online in time, just uh, in the normal course of business, but you have to do the nasal pharyngeal uh, swab deep into the nasal cavity. If you come back and then you have between 10 and 14 days of isolation, if it's excused, I think you have something more along the lines of like four or five days. You, you might remember it better than I do. Yeah, I think uh, it's like four. On the excuse. I hadn't yeah. focused on that as much. But, but uh, once one executive told me, like, we're going to see a whole lot of funerals for uncles and aunts that we didn't hear about before. <laughs> and I was like, really? He's like, I just that's what I worry about is well, that the approved well, during, list during the playoffs, though. I don't I don't think we will. Right. Because then you're going to you'd have to miss games. Right. I think. Yes. Now. Now, maybe if you're down to zero and you don't have home court advantage to try and get back in the series, then maybe. But at that point, you know, you're you're basically you're not going to be coming back. At that point, so I, I'm not that worried about it. Um, uh, I, I mean, I know I know that's a, the executive had something cynical, but I do think I, I do trust in these guys' competitive instincts and like how good it's going to feel. I think to just be back playing basketball again and working towards something, especially if you're not, you know, the Wizards or Suns, and you actually have a chance at doing something, you know, and also a, a chance to have a platform to uh, attack social justice issues uh, as well. So I, I think. You know, certainly, you know, if it's the birth of a child or something like that, uh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it does seem like, again, there might be a little bit of, if you were really doing it right, you know, you'd probably have five or six days quarantine at the end of that. And I don't think it's quite that high, right? It's like, it's something in like the three or four days when you come back in. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that that could be a possibility. Um, but also, I think if we, if we get that far into it without any positive tests, like we're probably doing pretty well. Um, yep at that point so that that you do raise a good point there i hadn't thought about that as much but that's what that's kind of like a wait and see one for me yeah because i think the the like the punishment of going out is not just hey you're going to be quarantined for four or five days. it's like you're not going to be able to play yeah you're going to leave your team out to hang out to dry during that time um and so for the better players on the team that 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 is probably a breaking of the code is like understanding hey i i just want to go see my kids or i want to go see my family or whatever it is and by the way, I'm going to do this and you guys are going to lose the next couple games. Just know that. Like, I think that is going to be a deterrence enough that you won't see that all the time. But it's something to think about. And then the other thing I want to ask you is, um, giving your background, and it could be totally uh, out of left field in terms of your specialty, but as an attorney, your background 
I'm curious about what you thought about reporting on the, or identifying players who are testing positive. And the idea of like, there might be HIPAA laws that the NBA doesn't want to identify the players or at least the stigma attached to those players. You don't want to be like, hey, um, you know, Don, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, they, they somehow did something wrong here. And, and having that identifying those players might actually be uh, a poor thing to put on them. But my, uh, my counter would be like, why can we report on injuries but not about COVID? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, and I know absolutely nothing about that uh, in my, <laughs> my specialty. So I don't really have much for me. I do think, you know, from a gambling perspective as well, you know, that's something that Brian, Brian Windhorst uh, has talked a lot about too of just, uh, hey, if you probably, if you're betting on a team to win the championship, you might want to know if that player has tested positive or not. Um, but, you know, it does seem like there's a different sensitivity to this for whatever reason than, you know, this player has a sprained ankle, that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have a great answer for you on that one because it, it, it's not really my, my field of law, unfortunately. And uh, feel, feel free to cut this. If you want to. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, I think it's important because some of the, players that have been officially reported and players that have been reported through uh, like sources. I find that interesting is that we aren't allowed, or I don't know if they're allowed is the right word, but it is going to be a little bit of a gray area of we won't, we might not know who tests positive or we might not know who has the antibodies um, who tested positive on the serology test, which also might be interesting information for gamblers or fans or for writers. Um, yeah. And so, and so can I can I ask you a question? Yeah. I, I know this is your show, but I mean, do you think that I mean, you you've seen the protocol? You've talked to a lot of experts. Like, do you think that the NBA should be doing this, or do you think that it's uh, I mean, and everyone's personal risk tolerance is different, obviously, but uh, or or do you think that no, this is too dangerous? There's too much COVID nineteen going around. They shouldn't be trying this. So the epidemiologists that I talk to generally, like you said, are saying this is a pretty good plan. And even Dr. Fauci, when he said it uh, briefly, I believe he mentioned that everybody was going to be in this bubble. And I think I would, maybe he didn't see the the Disney staffer element of this, but I think that idea of having an airtight bubble, not having an airtight bubble doesn't necessarily mean that this is a bad idea. Um, I think it's also important to do this to see what is viable for next season. To have kind of a ground, I think people aren't focusing on next season enough. Is the idea? Oh, oh of, I think I think as of right now, they might be unless we can just do better as a country. Like they could be in big trouble for next season. Uh, all right. So why would it like? Yeah, because I mean, and you know, MLB, NFL are trying to do this too. But I mean, if you just have people in their home markets, and they're just and they're still going to be having close contact with each other, they're going to have close contact with other teams during games, they're going to be traveling. Uh, I mean, if they're just out and about in the community and this virus is out and about in the community as well, and we're having big outbreaks, you know, you can't expect players to just like not do anything for yep. the entire season. And so I, I think it's just it, I, in that case, I mean, unless we can really get the odds down or the other thing too, is that we may have treatments that make this a lot less lethal or uh, even potentially a vaccine by that point. So, but without that, if, if consider if it's the current medical reality and the current spread of cases, I really struggle to see how it would be possible to have a season unless you really just all the players are like, yeah, you know, we're going to kind of basically not ever go out at all and stay home with our families. And then you also have the, their families or, or any of their friends or whatever, like you have to be responsible for what they're doing too, that they're coming in contact with. It seems, it seems like just too much of a house of cards unless you're doing this bubble. I, so I have a pretty decent degree of confidence in this bubble, but a very low degree of confidence yeah. when you're looking at you know players just kind of living their lives and then coming in and, and playing the games, even if there are no fans. And I think it's important to answer your question. I think it's important to have this experiment because there's not a lot of data out there to know what is you know safe or what kind of um, protocols are effective or not, or, or just to have information with which to plan the future of the NBA. Um, and maybe we get a vaccine, maybe we get effective treatments where you just pop a pill and everything's gonna be fine even if you test positive. Um, but barring that, I think the, I don't think people are talking enough about how, how this is gonna be around for a long time and that we're gonna have to figure out 
in various politicians or commissioners, uh, uh, public health officials saying we have to learn how to live with this disease. I think there is a really strong component of this is just we have to figure out something and yep. it's just going to be really expensive. It's going to be risky. Um, we have to figure out what is what, how much risk we're willing to tolerate. And I think that's why the partnership with the, uh, the union is so important is it is important to note that this is not just Adam Silver driving down these protocols on the players. This is something that they both agreed to. Um, and the players have agreed yeah. that like, look, these are things that we're willing to deal with. Um, so I do think that it's worth trying, but I also think, uh, I think that people aren't also con considering the costs of, or the risks of things shutting down. So if the, if the NBA does shut down, it would be a terrible thing in terms of health. Like it would mean that this virus has broken out. The outbreak has infected several of their employees. And from a health perspective, that would not be ideal. Right. But I also think that the cost to paying for all these tests or the cost of doing this operation was so high that you're also going, uh, there's a lot of upfront costs here that probably are prohibitive um, in many eyes for what the next CBA is going to look like or the next year is going to look like. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of money to just eat without any revenues coming in. So it's not just like, hey, we should really do the season because if we don't do the season, we're going to miss out on all this revenue. I actually think of it another perspective, which is if we do the season and it fails or it, they have to shut down, what about all those fixed costs that they put into ramping up into this big operation? And then you've added costs and not much revenue. And I think that yeah. potentially might be worse than not having any season at all. Yeah, what they say was it's going to be like $100 million. I think I saw it was a, a report is what they're kind of just going to have to spend on the hotels and the testing and all the countermeasures and the venues uh, and stuff like that. So uh, one thing I would I would add here is, you know, I completely, this is not a, the question of whether they should do this or not is not, does not have a hard and fast answer, but, uh, and a lot of people have different risk challenges, but the three things I would add, and you touched on this a little bit, number one is players have the option to, and staffers have the option to opt out. And if they yep. have a uh, pre-existing condition, they can do so and still get paid. And all of these players are in a situation where, yeah, the money might be nice for, for some guys, but you know, they're not going to be unable to feed their family because they didn't get you know, this remainder of the paycheck for the season. They are in a much, and again, they had the ability to opt out. There's presumably informed consent here. They are in a much, much better situation than, I mean, there are millions upon millions upon millions of people who are being asked to go back to work. If you think of people who work in bars or restaurants or meat packing plants or factories or any of these where, hey, they're not testing everyone every day in these situations and people aren't wearing masks. And, you know, so on all of the list of economic activities that are being redone, and sadly, this is the state of the society that we're living in right now, you know, there are millions and millions of people and thousands of activities that are far riskier than what the NBA is trying to attempt here. So I, I would say that. And then piggybacking on that, and this is a point that's been made by a lot of people is, hey, you know, we saw 16 people got coronavirus uh, already. I would, I'm hopefully going to say that I'll take the under on 16 more players testing positive over the next three months. I really hope that I'm correct on that. Um, but Oh, that's interesting. You, know, you think it's under that? Uh, in terms of players, yeah, I, I think. Okay, I players, think, yeah. Like, that's so, what, uh, and I'll clarify, once we actually get into the bubble, between that point and the end of the season, I think that fewer than 16 players will test positive during that time. That's now, obviously that could go wrong. And, you know, you kind of, if you get one case, then you have a, a higher chance of getting 30 cases for sure. You know, there's kind of a binary right. aspect to this, uh, but, um, but. So it'd be but like anyway, five a yeah. month, basically, or like a little under five a month. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's the case, right? I mean, and I, and I would say even the mode of number that I expect among players would be zero. I think that's going to be the most common outcome would be zero. Now, of course, that's because you have a longer tail uh, on that. But um, but anyway, I mean, when you see that players just in their communities playing pickup games and gyms with mm -hmm. a, a bunch of people, you know, obviously you can't wear masks. You know, you're uh, you're going to be seeing people socially. You don't know what they're doing, etc. Uh, I think that they, the players will be safer and staffers will be safer in this bubble over those three months 
despite the fact that they'll be having some close contact in terms of playing basketball and like team meetings and stuff, then they would outside of it because their people, players are having close contact with plenty of other people and it's not, they're not all getting tested. So uh, that's a, another thing that I would consider as well here, as you try to think of everyone who's going to form their own opinion on whether they should be doing this or not. But those are some of the factors I think should at least be considered in do, that analysis. Do you think this season, uh, like when they said December 1st, I thought that was way too optimistic because I think not just from a, Hey, you're going to put your best players. If you're assuming that like Milwaukee bucks versus the Los Angeles Lakers in the finals, you want those players to be ragged coming into next season. I guess in some ways that already happens with the Olympics and the finals already, but I just think that would be doubly um, a double whammy for them is they're going to be ragged and they're coming into a new situation for the next season. But I, I, I wonder, um, do you think it's more likely that the season gets pushed back like after Christmas? Because it's just how do we go from in bubble season to what the what baseball is trying to do or what the NFL presumably is trying to do is just have everyone play in their home markets for next season. I think that's going to take a lot more planning and a lot more thinking about. And they're going to be dealing with this bubble. A lot of their energy is going to be focusing on getting this bubble right. Yeah, you know, I, I think one thing that will help is they'll have the example of baseball and football will have already gone and tried this. So mm-hmm. hopefully they can learn from that example a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I would admit, I mean, December 1st, both because of the issue of recovery and having a 45-day off-season, you know, that, that seems uh, pr- too short for some teams. But you know, And also, there's kind of no real reason to start before December 25th, uh, to me. Um, they do also have this kind of thing on the end with the Olympics where they don't want to be going up against the Olympics uh, or they want players to play in the Olympics or or whatever so you know maybe yeah. they have to make it shorter there but then there's also the thought of like okay maybe maybe but some some slight chance i mean uh we haven't seen any indication this is going to happen with the, the three months we have been dealing with this but uh that maybe you'd say okay the longer we wait the better chance there is of either a vaccine being widespread <laughs> or a treatment or this being under control and then we might even be able to have fans like that carrot out there might be a reason to wait longer but you know again we so much of this has defied prediction and you know, we'll have a better idea you know maybe in september or, or october of how realistic it is actually to pull that off and you know i mean who knows maybe they'll maybe it'll be so widespread and baseball and football will have really struggled and they'll be like okay maybe what we have to do is we'll do you know a month of games in a bubble and then everyone gets to take a month break and then we come back or something like this, something along those lines i mean that that has its own issues of course i'm not advocating that but i mean they, they might just have to do something really creative along those lines yeah and something that henry abbott brought up at true Hoop was just uh, if they shred up the cba and they just start from scratch and try to build a new framework for the league i think the players now this is a whole nother pod so i'm just, I'm just gonna hold that thought for another <laughs> that's it for another day but um nate any last thoughts just on the reporting in the NBA space and uh, how many times that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I thought, I thought your article uh, was really good. I thought, and the, the quotes from uh, the epidemiologists uh, were really good when you, you talked about uh, the Disney stuff. I, and I don't know whether you control the headlines. I probably wouldn't have gone quite as far with the headline of, you know, they're, they're not going to be testing There's major holes or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 I think it was, it was something along those lines, but you know, I mean, uh, I don't write there, that there is for the record. Yes. I mean, among scientists, among everyone is it, it's not like two people are like automatically going to see eye to eye on this stuff anyway. Right. So yeah. I guess maybe the last thing we talk about too, this came up on your pod with Henry as well is the idea of not having a strict set of criteria for when you're going to shut it down. And, and I thought you, oh, you, guys yes. were, yeah. were, you guys were somewhat critical of that, and and I think I may disagree with you on that point. I just don't think that it makes sense to uh, box yourself in that way. You know, if, if I were running things, I would probably want to do it the same way because, you know, let's say that five players on the Phoenix Suns test, po- test positive before their last game, which wasn't going to have any kind of a effect on the playoff race. And so, but you have this rule that you're shutting it down if five yep. players test positive. You know, I, I think you just want to have a little bit more flexibility there. Um, and, and you just don't know what the situation is going to be. And, you know, perhaps those players, you can establish that, no, they haven't had, they haven't played a game since their positive test. And 
you're able to determine exactly what event it was that caused them to be infected you can contact trace and you determine that nobody else is reasonably at risk and so i think there are too many variables for any potential outbreak to come up with any hard and fast rules yeah right now in addition to obviously the more sinister kind of pr aspects of that which you guys noted as well yeah so on friday adam silver was asked about this and he said we haven't worked through every scenario um and he said you know, he's going to be working with the Players Association and Disney officials and public health officials in Florida about that that line, that threshold. And he said, quote, it hasn't been precisely designed, that, that line. I think we just want to get down on the ground and start seeing how our testing is working and how the protocols are working, and then we'll make decisions as we go. And at first when I heard that, I was like, so you're, it almost sounds like you're making things up as we go. And a lot of people have said that, is it seems like the NBA is just making up rules as they go with it. With respect to the age of the coaches where Adam Silver walked back the comment, apparently reportedly walked back the comment about how there's going to be a different set of protocols for older coaches like Greg Popovich or Alvin Gentry, the coach of the Pelicans and the, and the Spurs. And then like it seemed like he was reversing course within 24 hours about that rule. And it seemed like, oh, they don't really have a plan. I don't think that's what Adam Silver's saying is is just what you're getting at, Nate, is is accurate, I think, is that it would be – I think unwise to just have a number or a hard and fast rule without any sort of discretion or any sort of flexibility on that for various reasons. But what I don't want to happen is, and it doesn't sound like the league office is doing this. I don't want to happen is just, they make exceptions to the rule or whatever scenario is based on, Hey, we just really need this game in because it's, it would make us a lot of money. That's when it becomes a little bit treacherous is like they put the money for, obviously this is a business. And I think that's one of the big things that people don't get is this is uh, the, the, the poll you talk about the pillar of the economics is, is super important, if not the most important thing here. But I think that's what you don't want is like, the image of the of the NBA just flying at the seat of their pants about hey uh, what should we do now I think they've they've created a lot of scenarios and planning to that effect and I don't want to say that like like you said five if five players on a team gets the coronavirus that they have to shut the whole thing down because I think there is there is scenarios in which five players on one team or another team uh, it's it's a different different paradigm I mean it's yeah. it, at the end of the Right. Like you said, like if the Phoenix Suns at the end of their uh, stay, the eight seeding games, there's an outbreak on the Phoenix Suns, but they're going home anyway, quarantine them. They don't they're not a part of the bubble going forward. Then that's a different thing than if like the entire Milwaukee Bucks or Los Angeles Lakers are, are getting infected. Yeah. And clearly, if you know, it's like, OK, 35 people on a bunch of different teams have it, then, you know, that's that's a different story. Clearly, they're they're. Uh, there are gradations of that, but that would be like a clear one where, all right, you got at a minimum, you have to pause it and make sure that everyone is either recovered or negative or, or anything. But yeah, thanks for having me on. This is a, a really uh, a good conversation. I, I'm glad we we're able to kind of uh, flesh out some of these issues. I hope it was informative for people. Oh, it was, it was informative for me just listening to it. Um, so thank you for, for joining me. And um, what is, how, how can people find your pods? Yeah. If you just uh, search, COVID Daily News, or you search Nate Duncan in your favorite podcast player. Was COVID Daily News your number one pick? Or did you uh, have to go through a bunch of titles? Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think we started with like Coronavirus Daily, and then there was like seven other pods that had that, <laughs> including one by NPR, which was obviously going to be much more widely listened to. So it, it was it was difficult to come up with a title that would be clear, that would show up in searches, and uh, also... I mean, I, I was going to say to have it not be too boring, but I didn't succeed in that. It's a, it's an extremely boring, boring <laughs> title. Uh, and then we're still doing my podcast with John Hollinger once a week, uh, Hollinger, Duncan. And then uh, you, you can tell I'm really creative with the uh, podcast names. And then uh, dunked on my uh, NBA pod. We'll be back uh, once uh, the season's about to start five days a week uh, as well. We're doing two days a week right now. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Nate. And uh, be safe. And hopefully we'll... Um... We'll talk about some games soon. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. I want to give a shout out to Nate Duncan for joining me. Make sure you check out his COVID daily news podcast on the coronavirus. Also check out the Dunked On podcast that he does on the NBA, as well as the Hollinger and Duncan pod. Um, 
really insightful stuff. So thank you, Nate, for joining me. And also, if you haven't yet, go check out my previous episode, my interview with Steve Forbes, the head coach of the Wake Forest basketball team for something completely different. We're going to talk about his relationship with Nick Nurse, the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. And they've been boys since back uh, in the Iowa days in, in college. So hopefully we will be done with all the coronavirus talk about the NBA restart soon, and maybe we'll just be focusing on basketball again, hopefully sooner than later. So, all right. Until next time on The Haber Show.